Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 71 was recorded live Thursday, June 16th, 2011. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. This week in the news, we have gear thefts, divers search for Bin Laden, and a flag underwater. This week uh, is going to be something that's kind of rare. Max online, but he's going to be quiet. So that's, uh, you know, some of you might look at that as a treat. We also have a guest. Uh, this week, our guest is Eric Branger. Did I, did I say your name right, Eric? That's close enough. Brager. Brager? Yep. Great. And you're from Hawaii. <laughs> I live on the big island of Hawaii. Aloha, so, folks. So that so that's the big island then? Yes, it's the big island. Uh, we you know, it's like three times the size of Delaware and about hundred and sixty thousand people here. It's uh, a whole lot of nothing here. Yeah, so, I'm I'm sure that's what everybody says. Well really it's it's, it's a giant landmass. I mean it's uh, it's full of nature and, and good stuff, but there's no highways, no cities, uh, mostly cows, really. Cows, really? It's you got cows. I think, the, I think the they say the third largest ranch in the nation, or something like that, is is here, cattle ranch. I would not have thought of Hawaii for cows. Yeah, it 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 it, uh, it smells like it too where I live too. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> but, but it's beautiful. I, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful here. Okay, so so torture us. What is the temperature there? Uh, right now outside of my air conditioned office, it's probably in the eighties. Um. It's you know there's two seasons here uh, by the coast certainly on sea level there's there's hot and hotter uh, we're approaching the hotter season sort of in the upper 80s um, where I am situated now at work is uh, on the dry side of the island in fact this is the driest part of uh, the state we get uh, you know some number of inches per rainfall a year and it usually happens between one or two days uh, but up where I live up at 3,000 feet is uh, is quite cool and uh, and lush so it's a bunch of climates here. Okay, now when you say the hot season, how hot will it get? Yeah, I mean, there's like a 10 degree. I mean, see, it's in the low 80s or the high 80s, really. Um, and you don't really even notice the change of seasons. Uh, certainly at elevation, there's a there's a wet uh, season and a wetter season. Uh, it's pretty rainy on the other side of the island. Uh, but the water temperature uh, varies between, you know, it's, I think the coldest I've seen it is, is probably 76 or 77 and the warmest near the surface is in the eighties. And that, that, that temperature also, uh, changes between the two seasons. Um, and then of course there's a, there's a sort of a surf season where it's really hard to shore dive when the swell comes in in the winter, but we're, we're out of that now. And, uh, the waters are much more calm for shore entry, which is nice. So in the rest of the season, you just, you're just tortured by going in warm, clear water with a boat. Yeah, if we want to pay for the boat, or there's a couple spots where that are, are you know aren't as exciting dives that are a little easier entry that are sheltered, and you just see a bunch of divers usually stacked up over in those two spots, trying to get in. Um, you know, the Kona Harbor is one of them. You can sort of walk into the boat ramp, and uh, and there's a couple of little spots tucked away that are 
often in the lee of the, the big swell that comes in in the winter. Now, you mentioned that you're at work. Uh, is work scuba-related? Uh, it is in that uh, I work for a small marine robotics company. Uh, so we do uh, a fair bit of free diving. And, uh, once every other month or so, we'll have to put on a <coughs> bottle and, and do some uh, video uh, underwater. But it's, uh, we, you know, we do have a, a dive locker here. But uh, most of the diving I do is, is for fun, for sure. Okay. What, what got you originally interested in diving? Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, my grandfather uh, had an Army-Navy store on the North Shore of Long Island. And I guess in 68 or 69, he opened up one of the first dive shops in the area. And by the time I came along when I was a little baby, up until I was a little kid, there was always, always dive gear around. Uh, and, you know, for taking vacations with parents and, and things, there was always snorkeling. And, uh, and finally, sometime in the early 90s, I just finally got off my butt and got, got certified. And this was on the North Shore of Long Island, Long Island Sound. And it was mostly just kind of clambering around on jetties and chasing bugs and stuff. And then uh, at some point along the way, I started working on boats uh, in and out of the Caribbean, just sort of being a boat bum. And then there was just plenty of diving happening there. Uh, and I probably took a oh, uh, eight or nine year break in there, having a real jobby job. And at some point, I realized, why? Why? You know, I was living in Boston at the time. Why aren't I diving? Like, was, this is ridiculous. So uh, sometime around 2004, 2005, I bought a, a bunch of gear and started back up again and haven't really looked back. So is that what got you out to the Big Island there? Uh, it was one of those things where uh, my wife and I were leaving uh, Massachusetts, uh, trying to move to Seattle. We had moved to Seattle and I did a whole bunch of diving out there. The diving in Seattle is, is ridiculously beautiful. Uh, and just as we were settling and we just moved there, I got a call from this company here in the, on the Big Island. They said, hey, you want to move to the Hawaii? And, uh, you know, the answer is usually yes to that, that question. Yeah. <laughs> as long Otherwise, as they pay you enough to afford the milk and gas, then. Yeah, we, we don't drink milk anymore. That's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> is wine cheaper? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, yes, wine is often cheaper. It's, you know, depending on the wine I drink, at the very least. Um, <laughs> you know, it's milk can be anywhere from 6 to $9 a gallon, and, you know, and there's no rhyme or reason why. Um, wow. But... You know, the, the measure I usually use and sort of how, how bad the prices are are boxes of cereal or, you know, differ between the 5 and, and $7 range. Uh, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't do without the, the farmer's markets and Costco are really the only way we live here. It's, uh, but everything else is outside of the food. I mean, the, the housing is about, you know, the same. And we, you know, we live in Boston and Seattle, so we're pretty used to high quality, high cost of living. Uh, and the gas, of course, you know, is not even going to get start making me cry a little bit. I don't, I don't even look. There's only one or two gas stations in town, and they both have the same prices, so I don't look anymore. I don't really have a choice. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah, we cry at the gas prices, but uh, I imagine ours aren't anywhere near as terrible as yours are. I don't even look, really. Anymore. But yeah, it's uh, moving to Hawaii, you have to sort of, this this island of at least you have to resign yourself to the fact that there really isn't uh, anything to do in a traditional sense. You know, there isn't uh, there isn't a big nightlife, I and mean, then sort of the sidewalks roll up around nine, and and, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a get-up-early kind of culture. I mean, I think the, the town I live in most busiest, uh, probably around 6 in the morning, where everyone's sort of up and around and doing things. It's a real kind of ranching mentality, <clears throat> for sure. Okay, so, so now for the important stuff. Yes. Where's the uh, great diving? So the really great diving, I, I think, is the shore diving here on the Big Island. But the, the, the thing about it is it is not for the faint of heart. If you have weak ankles... Uh, I would go boat diving here. Wow. So, 
I live about, uh, or I dive and live about uh, an hour north of Kona. And between Kona and here, uh, there is not a lot. Uh, most of the, the really good diving is 4x4 accessible. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it's really it's really about structure here on the Big Island. You know, it's, uh, I think the first time I went diving here was in 2005, visiting a friend. And we dropped it on the reef. And I thought to myself, holy crap, the reef is dead. Because I had been so used to uh, soft corals and fans and, and, you know, things moving, uh, when I, all I, all I saw was this sort of hard plate coral, really healthy hard plate coral, but to me, in my, uh, my first eye, I thought it was dead, but the, you know, the reef system here is so new, uh, that you don't, you don't really see that soft stuff, um, so really, um, uh, for me, at the very least, being sort of like a, a dreaming of, of cave diving, for me, uh, it, it's about the structure, the lava structure, and the coral on the structure, um, is really outrageous. There's a lot. There's always a swim through. There's always a cave to go poking around in. Um, you know, the the big reason that people come to the Big Island and the people that really, if you really, the real big reason is, is the manta dive. Okay. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a phenomenal experience. I mean, you should put this on your bucket list of dives. You know, they the boats take you out uh, down in Kona and about 30 feet of water. There's a spot where pretty much every night uh, they set lights down in a, in a sort of a, a sand sandy area. Uh, the, the campfire, as they call it, and just around dusk, you know, there's about five or six uh, charter boats sort of in a big cluster, and you go down and you basically sit on the bottom, and you want yourself pretty well weighted for this. I, I, the first time I did it, I, you know, I was my normal sort of, you know, retentive neutral, and that was that was dumb because as I started to suck down my aluminum 80, and there was a little bit of surge. So you want to be really well rated. You sit down on on, on the deck, uh, which is a little intuitive as well, and all of a sudden these you know 11 foot mantas come come flying by and they do circles around you and and if you have a really bright light they'll, they'll come and, and hang around your light and then above you are you know usually uh for for every diver there's usually a couple of snorkelers you look up and there's snorkelers above you and it's it's as bright as daylight up down there and, and and there's you know there could be you know up to 20 something mantas at a time um strafing you flying by it's uh it's a really intense i i haven't gotten i mean i've done it i don't know a dozen or so times and it never gets old so that's the real attraction here but if you're here you know there's there's plenty of the classic boat diving cattle boat kind of thing and there are a couple of really good dive offs and there are a couple of really crappy ones as well uh but for me the the everyday diving that i do um which is which was two or three times a week uh until i had a had a baby six months ago it sort of slowed down a little bit um we just you know we just drive up to a spot and uh and get out before work and, and dive and then and then head to work oh and that's wow. Um, and that's 10 minutes away. And, and most of us that, I mean, I dive with a bunch of the folks in the dive shop and, and most of us, since we're already sort of living in our bathing suits anyways, it's not a big deal to sort of go to work in the flops in a bathing suit right after a dive. And it's, uh, I dive at a spot called Puaco, uh, which is up here on the Koala coast. And it's a little, uh, ritzy community. Um, and the Hawaii state, uh, mandates that you you have to really have a lot of shore access to uh, for public. In fact, the hotels here by law have to allow you on their beach. Um, they usually have a certain number of parking passes. So along the Puoco shoreline there, there are uh, little driveways that have a little state shore access sign, and you get out and and everyone sort of has their favorite little entry along the way. And we 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 call them out by house number, right? You know, like there's it's like oh where you want to go today, house 54 or 32. Oh wow. And uh, and we just sort of get in. There's a little bit of a swim out. The way the Puoco, uh reef works is that it's, you know, 
two to seven or eight feet for I don't know how long. The swim keeps getting longer every time I do it, and then it uh, and then it drops down like a like a cliff to about twenty to thirty feet, and then it's probably thirty feet, forty feet for a little while, where then it drops down very quickly to about seventy eighty feet where it's all sand. So we usually hang out in that uh, in that thirty to forty foot range, and uh, and it's it sort of looks like have you ever driven up uh, US-1 up the California coast where there are those sheer face cliffs. It looks like the mini version of that, but underwater. And they're in a sort of uh, sort of nooks and crannies to swim through and, and turtles and the occasional manta during the day, uh, uh, the occasional white tip uh, reef shark in a cave. There's a couple caves uh, that have them often enough that we, we often know they're there. Um, then there's, there's one spot in Pilco that, that's uh, on the shorediving.com website that you know, we basically call the office. Uh, you know, we we've done that dive so many times. It has the easiest entry. It almost has uh, naturally forming steps into the water, uh, which is really rare around here because most entries are hard lava because there aren't a lot of beaches here. Uh, hard lava covered in slime, and uh, and then there's a swim out, of course. Uh, so sometimes when I have visitors here and I take them diving, I was like, oh yeah, the entry is easy, and they take a look at it and they're like, what? I, I'm not I'm not getting. I'm not getting in there. <laughs> I, I sometimes, sometimes forget that we just we go through greater lengths uh, to get on the water than most people are, are at least on vacation interested in doing. Um, but it's you know here on the Kohala coast. I don't know what it is about the sand here, but it's the viz you know on Hawaii by Hawaii standards isn't as great uh, as you know you see the you know hundreds of feet of visibility. You know we get. You know, and my friends in Seattle kill me when I complain about it. And certainly, uh, friends in Boston. You know, if we have a you know 40 or 50 foot of visibility, that's sort of like a, a bad day. And uh, and when we get so lazy, since we have all this visibility, we often navigate by landmarks in the reef. And you know, I've been lost, just been out of lazy when there's you know there's the vis is low and I can't see the next sort of cliff down the reef wall there. Oh, where, where the hell am I? It's uh. But it's that's just me being spoiled, really. Yeah, it does does sound a tad bit spoiled. Yeah, uh, it is. It is indeed. Probably your worst viz is our best. Yeah. The, so the thing that you know, the real complaint about uh, diving on the Big Island, especially having uh, lived in Seattle for a brief time, is there's a a very weak sort of recreational diver community here. Um, it's it's often hard to find dive buddies unless I go on scuba board and sort of like ask for random Joe vacationer, which has not turned out well in the past. Um, but yeah, there's there's only a few folks. And that's why I dive with the, the folks in my dive shop. Um, you know, down in Kona, and you know, the, the my dirty latest secret is that I'm a, I'm a DIR diver, right? So I come from this sort of uh, this fascist elitist world where you, you only dive with other DIR divers, and I really had to let go of that. Uh, moving here, uh, it was actually pretty good for my for my douchey DIR sort of attitude to open myself up to, to people who don't dive like me. Um, but outside of that, it, you know, really missed the, the close-knit community of, of cold water diving in Seattle. But, you know, most of the time uh, I can find, you know, a tourist to dive with or, or do a little bit of solo diving, which is, you know, the furthest from DIR diving you could possibly get is solo diving, so don't, don't tell anyone. Now, you're... <laughs> There, people who live in Hawaii, if they're not diving, what are they doing? You know, there there are so few 
beaches here, you know, on, on this side of the island, there's only sort of two white sandy beaches that people go to, and there's a couple little ones here and there. Uh, they're snorkeling, uh, they're, you know, zip lining, they're hiking through jungle, they're, they're going up to uh, uh, the, the big, there's a uh, quite a large mountain here, there's a 14,000 foot mountain, which is about the size of Mount Rainier in Seattle. Uh, that has some telescopes, so they're doing some sort of astronomy-related thing. There's a visitor center at 9,000 feet. Um, there is uh, Volcanoes National Park. We have an active volcano. Uh, that's probably outside of the, the water sports stuff. Probably the biggest draw to the island is going to see an active volcano. And Volcano National Park is is really outrageous. It's It doesn't get any nature than that, really. Um, and you can actually see, depending on where the lava flow is, you can actually drive up pretty close to, to active lava flowing by, um, depending on where it's flowing that day. And the, the downside of the active volcano is that uh, it pumps a lot of uh, sort of crap in the air. It's called um, fog, volcanic fog. And there's, uh, it's kind of a really big problem in Kona right now that's sort of ruining a lot of real estate uh, prices is that, the, that this smog, this grayish blue smog is sort of descended on Kona uh, and ruining people's fancy water views and, and whatnot, and people with respiratory problems are having problems, but uh, that is one of the long things that uh, a friend of mine calls paradise tax, right? It's, uh, yeah. you just, you know, I got bit by a spider at some point, and it got, you know, it was a horrible spider bite, like, you know, and he had, like, bird mites in his house, and the cost of milk, and all these things are, you know, paradise tax, you know, it's uh, active volcanoes, what are you, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, for everything good, you must have something bad, so, yeah. you get clear but, uh, water, you're going to get smog. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, from where we live uh, up in Waimea, the, the trade winds are always blowing, so we're really lucky not to have, we have pretty good air quality. Um, and certainly down here on the coast uh, where I work. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the diving here is, you know, you say there's structure, there's some bigger animals, uh, the coral's really healthy, uh, and there are, uh, there's still, you know, compared to, I've done some diving on Oahu, uh, comparatively there is uh, quite a bit of fish. Um, it's, you know, depending on the, uh, on the phases of the moon, which I haven't quite figured out. Uh, some days are fishier than others. Uh, and there are uh, more turtles than you can ever want to see here. Um, in fact, one of my favorite spots is the turtle cleaning station, where you can just sort of hang out for as long as your gas will let you and watch uh, fish pick on turtles. Now, the fish are cleaning the turtles? Yeah, there, there's some sort of symbiotic relationship is the fish uh, pick the uh, sort of algae, off the turtles and the turtles, and I've seen mantas uh, do it on the internet, but I've never seen it in person. Is is that the, the turtles will just suspend themselves in the water column, and then the reef cleaning fish will come and uh, and and sort of nibble on them uh, until they're clean enough, and they they move on with her. And there's a there's one spot on on or maybe two, but there's one spot that I know of on the Puuko Reef that it, it happens nearly nearly every morning. There's at least one turtle getting cleaned. Uh, it's pretty regular too. Oh. Something interesting yeah, so to see. Yeah, so you know, there's that's you know the shore diving scene is is what it is, and then, like I said, there's there's plenty of charter boats down in Kona. Um, take people. Uh, the state has a uh, has a mooring system, uh, or a, a series of moorings up and down the coast um, that they allow uh, sort of day use moorings. So the state is funded, and also there's a nonprofit that manages them as well. Is they drill pins into the reef, and then we'll float mooring, so people don't have to anchor onto the reef. And uh, you know the dive boats in the morning sort of stream out and try to find their favorite and, and uh, mooring. And uh, you know there's 
every every morning has a, has its own name. A lot of them are named after uh, Grateful Dead songs because Jerry Garcia, I guess, is a big fan of Kona diving. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and each one has its own uh, cool thing. There's one uh, called Pike Dreams, which I like a lot. Uh, there is a uh, uh, it's called uh, uh, it's just my mind. The National Energy Labs down in Kona does a lot of uh, work with cooling with seawater and, uh, and desalination of water. They have, they have like these huge pipes that go into the ocean and, and, uh, and they pump water up. Well, one of their test pipes isn't within diveable range. It's this big thing you can sort of like almost stand in that's about 50, 60 feet long. And uh, it's just kind of fun to dive on. It's just, it's just, it's like mounted on concrete in this reef is this giant, huge PVC pipe you can swim through. Um, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty fun. But you know, there's, it, yeah, it's, each dive, each mooring has its own sort of allure. Uh, you know, and, you know the uh, when I left Seattle, I had just sort of uh, started an intro to tech class. Uh, you know, Seattle's got a lot of great wrecks and a lot of sort of uh, tech one, as I call it, uh, range wrecks. And, uh, and that was really my, my really sort of my goal. But luckily, I hooked up with a guy here uh, who is a, a Naui tech instructor and went through his uh, sort of Taekwon class where the, where the bottom of the ocean opens up to about 150 feet. But the thing about tech diving here is that the, the helium prices are, you know, it's like a buck 20 a cubic foot or something like that. It's, it's a little ridiculous. And there's really nothing better to see at 150 feet. Um, you know, it's this, you know, there's some more exotic fish, but really the action, the action around here happens in 30 to 40 feet of water. You know, I don't regret doing the tech diving stuff because it, I like to get it under my belt. And, and if I ever, you know, the, my friends in Seattle joke that I've, I've turned into the reverse vacation diver, right? Most tech divers, you know, do all their tech diving in cold water and then go flop around in shallow water and the warm water is, is I'm going to become the reverse, you know, I'll go to cold water to go deep. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> on vacation. Yep. Well, that, that's the way it would be if you come here. Tech, tech diving seems to be where, where more of the better preserved wrecks are for us. Not far into tech diving, but. Just a, a little bit over recreational. Yep. But yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot of reason to do it uh, to to go past the no decompression limits here. But uh, it was fun taking the class. But uh, yeah, I was just happened to luck out. There was a guy on the island. He's sort of my more or less my primary dive buddy, even though he's down in Kona. That I try to dive as often as I can with. Uh, and there's another guy over in Hilo. I think he's the dive safety officer over at Hilo. Is another sort of DIR-ish guy. But I'm, I'm really happy to get in the water with anyone who has a good time and enjoys diving. Now, you mentioned uh, wreck diving. Are there any good wreck dives there? No. No, they're really uh, not. No. There is a couple old uh, anchors somewhere. And there's a, I know of a big pile of coal somewhere from an old coal steamer. Uh, but there really aren't any wrecks here. Um, when we went down to 150 a few times, we were just going down to more reef. Um, uh, I'd have to go back to probably cold water to go do that. But sure. I wish, wish there were. I mean, if someone wants to come and go through the process <laughs> of sinking something. That'd be, be really great. Well, that's when we're diving, we're driving by boats. We always yeah. say hey, that'd be a good one to dive on if we sink it. <laughs> yes. And every once in a while, someone will sink a boat, but it's usually some sort of insurance action going on there yeah that makes sense hey mac you have any yeah. questions for eric well i'm just curious about grubbing diving i mean is uh you know what a grubber is i'm sorry say again grubbing or being a no. grubber diver? what's a grubber diver 
That's when you go down your piers, docks, old places where people have tossed junk, and you go grubbing on the bottom for bottles and treasure. Uh, we've done that a little bit in Seattle. There are a couple of places. Uh, in fact, there's a place uh, south of Seattle called uh, Redondo Beach that has a bottle field in it that we usually go poking around bottles in there. And, uh, but uh, there isn't a, since there are so many people here, there isn't a whole lot of garbage on the bottom here, which is kind of nice. It's just not that populated. I mean, you get the, the Heineken and Steinlager beer bottles, which is what most people drink here, but that's, uh, there isn't a whole lot of junk here, thankfully. I was thinking more with the history. There might be an area that you could dive in, that you could find historical artifacts or anything like that. Certainly on Oahu, there is, uh, I don't know if you read a scuba board at some point last year, some guy was just diving along in, in, a, in, a, you know, in 20 feet of water and ran into a tank, um, that, a Japanese tank that they had dumped overboard. So there's a lot of that on Oahu. Um, you know, There's the guys that found the Japanese Zero and, and all kinds of World War II stuff. And there is... Way, way too much unexploded ordnance over on Oahu. But here, um, you know, it doesn't have a really, it has a, a, a rich history of sort of uh, whalers and, and whatnot that used to come here and stop by. Uh, but it doesn't really have much of a populated history here. I mean, most recently, Kona has been a, a cruise ship port, uh, less so these days. Um, you know, there's a lot of the, the, the anchors and, uh, and the other stuff up north here in Mahukona. Uh, that harbor was actually uh, would support the cattle. They'd actually float the cattle out onto barges from there. So all the artifacts on the water there are related to either sugarcane or cattle. I don't know. I'm just picturing floating cattle like we did logs. You kind of let them drift down the river and you got them all chained together and dip them out yeah, at the end. There's some great pictures of these. Uh, the Hawaiian cowboys are called paniolos. The paniolos sort of driving cattle out to this barge. There's really quite a picture of it. Now, is your island pretty populated? I'm sorry, Sagan? Is the island very well populated? No, not at all. Like I was saying at the, the top of the show, is uh, we are maybe three times the size of Delaware or something like that, and we only have 160,000 people. Um, so it is, if you look at uh, the Google Earth of the big island, you'll see it's just uh, vast expanses of, of lava fields and jungle. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, there's so many remote areas that, uh, you know, a lot of people live fairly off the grid, 4x4, accessible only. Um, you know, there are a lot of jacked up uh, pickup trucks around here to get around. Uh, so, no, uh, it's really, really uh, sparsely populated, which I like. Because you were saying about the beach accesses. There's not a lot of beach access. Why is that? There's not, there's not a lot of beaches uh, is really what it is. The island is really, really new. There, uh, most of the shoreline is hard uh, lava. Uh, it's just rocky, rocky coast, really, really new rock. Um, there is lots of beach access where there's beach, uh, certainly, and the state definitely mandates that. But uh, we don't, you know, we've got, you know, maybe two major beaches here on the island. People, people don't really come here. It's not like Waikiki where they sort of ship a lot of white sand in and it's sort of manufactured. It, it, uh, we just have very few, well, you know, two of the hotels are, on, are right on the, the two uh, main beaches here. So basically, if you want to explore the water, you really have to have a boat, is what you're saying? A boat, uh, a guide uh, with a 4x4, um, and there are certainly, there are places to get in the water um, that are f fairly well known. Uh, there's a handful down in Kona that are, you know, that are easy to get into, uh, a couple up here. But given the fact that that coast is, you know, 70 miles longer and there's only maybe you know, if you look on the web, a half a dozen or so good places to hop in the water. 
Uh, that's that's not a lot. Uh, yeah. There's one place in South Dakota uh, uh, called Honaunau, or Two Step, and it is a really big, beautiful bay with an incredibly healthy reef system, maybe the best snorkeling on the island. And it luckily has this uh, very new lava uh, shelf that has two steps in it, and uh, you can just kind of step into the water. It's uh, that's probably the most popular snorkeling spot uh, on the island, and it is and it's still for as popular as it's really a really great dive. The reef just keeps going and going and going and going. It's gorgeous. What did your airfields cost where you're at? I'm sorry, say again? Your air, your tanks, and airfield, what does that cost? Jeez, uh, I don't know. I have a, a, an air card. I think my nitrox fills are something like 12 bucks, 10, 12 bucks, I think. Um, I, since I buy a lot of stuff there for my job and for myself, I, I might get a little discount. But I think air fills are... I, Probably five five bucks. I don't. I'm not even sure. So I'm usually buying 32, and my air fill card hasn't hasn't run out yet, which I bought probably two years ago. Um, but the, you know, I think it's about 12 bucks a, a tank for 32. Okay, I'm just curious, sir, for the cost yeah. of. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you know, it's the helium, as I said, is ridiculous. Is buck 20 a cubic foot. Um, but the yeah, the nitrox isn't so bad. I think mine was probably paying about that much in Seattle. Uh, the bummer I have here is that the, my dive shop doesn't do high pressure fills, so I had to I shipped all these high pressure tanks from Seattle that I, I can't use. What do you call a high pressure tank? I'm sorry. What's a high pressure tank to you? Three thousand, thirty-five, four thousand? Oh, I had uh, uh, thirty-five. I had a bunch of uh, high pressure hundreds. Okay. Uh, were rated, rated for thirty-five. My dive shop. I'd have to travel to Kona to get that get that fill. Or my, my tech instructor also down in Kona has a has his own fill station in his garage. That helps as well. Okay. I think I could try and live with some of the visibility that you do have, though. It's a burden. Yeah. <laughs> do you do very many night dives? Uh, just my schedule doesn't allow it. Um, but there, it's interesting. Is some of the more boring spots during the day here are some of the best night dives. I don't know why that is, um, but it is it is absolutely a whole different world uh, night diving here. It's, we, we try to do it as much as we can. Uh, just having you know, just having a life is sometimes hard. It's easier for me to dive in the mornings on the weekends than during the week. Um, what was actually kind of fun is I just in the process of selling my my big 21 watt. Uh, HID can light that I brought with me from cold water diving because it is just so freaking bright uh, that it's almost useless. Like it's just it's ridiculous. So I've I've just been carrying a little three watt uh, backup light with me. <laughs> but I'm sorry to see my can light go. So do you use your dry suit there or not? No, I I sold my dry suit last year. It was a big DUI CLX 450, and uh, I was sweating underwater in it. <laughs> and I use, uh, I've become a little acclimated and a little bit of a wuss. I, I dive with a five mil here, as, as do most of the people that, that dive regularly here. Because really, 77 to 79 is, is not super warm. And, you know, God forbid I have doubles on, I'm down for two hours, and it starts to get a little cold. Um, if I had the money, I'd probably buy uh, uh, either a, a White's Fusion or, a, or one of those uh, a DUI tropical suits, the 3030. I'm going to be here for a while. If I'm here for a while and I start doing more and more tech dives, if I do go down deep, uh, you know, my wetsuit's only going to last a year. Keep buying wetsuits, I might as well just buy a dry suit. 
but there are a lot. There are a lot of people here that do who do dive and dry suits. Uh, be be easier if I had to dress for work. I could just wear my clothing <laughs> on a dry suit. I actually know a guy in, in Seattle that uh, would get out of out of his IT job, run to a dive site after work when we get, get together, and just take off his jacket and tie and, and use that uh, and get in his undersuit and, and go. And he'd come out with his his suit on. It's a classic. Wow, must make for some good photos. Oh, I, I might have some photos of Rob around doing that. It's uh, it's kind of like James Bond action. Nice. So how much how what how many dives are you normally getting in a month? Let's say. Uh, you know, before baby, uh, it was probably one to three dives a week. Um, right now, I'm probably a couple dives a month. Right now, just uh, having a man of way too many hobbies. Um, but at regular pace, and before my dive buddy moved to my regular real regular dive buddy locally moved back to Portland, yeah, it was probably about at most three times a week. And that was That's just fun. you know early morning stuff. Yeah, early morning. That just sounds great. I'd- Nothing makes a day go better than a dive. It really does reframe your whole uh, your whole day. Uh, it makes some of the petty stuff seem a lot less important, really. You know, it's kind of like it's like you know going to church in the morning before work or something. It's really it's really something else. Well, do you have anything you want to plug? Anybody down there or any projects you're working uh, on? I guess there. I have. I probably have two plugs. <laughs> Uh, one is the Manta Pacific Research Foundation, uh, of which my wife is on the board. Uh, they, uh, two years ago, passed a law. They managed to, to pass a Hawaii state law to make it illegal to hunt and kill manta rays. And uh, they need uh, all the help that you can get if you are in the donating mood. Uh, they're about to spin up an Adopt-A-Manta program where you can sort of uh, adopt you know, one of the mantas and, and you get some plaques and I'm not quite sure the details of it, and they have uh, they have named and identified I don't know how many hundreds of manta rays, and there's a, a guy by the name of Keller Laros who runs one of the manta dives there, mantaman.com, and says, and he can he can name by sight at least 50, 60 mantas. It's quite amazing. But the Manta Civic Research Foundation does really great activist work. They do they run all the education uh, and write rules for for all the dive regs for keeping people and mantas safe. Uh, so they're near and dear to my heart. I try to volunteer as much as possible with them. And then I guess my local dive shop, I'd, I'd probably plug with Kohala Divers. Uh, they've, they're up here. They're the only dive boat uh, this far north, uh, really, that, uh, that has its own mooring and everything. They're a good-sized dive boat. Most of the other ones are small ribs. Kohala Divers is a great dive shop. They're great people, and they run a really great uh, operation. So I'd, I'd totally like to plug them. Great. That's, that's probably it. Excellent. Well, well, we appreciate you uh, coming on, giving us an interview. You're sure the more than welcome to stay on for the rest of the show. We're going to yeah, head sure. into the into the news next. So we've I got to bail in about a half an hour, but I'll, I'll stick around. Okay. Well, hopefully we're not too much longer than that. Uh, <laughs> Great. Kind of a, a dirty secret. I didn't get last week's episode up, so I've got some editing to do. <laughs> nice. So, uh, but we'll go ahead and we'll we'll move right on into the news. Uh, the first article. We're, we'll start with a negative and work our way positive again. First one is scuba gear stolen from Glasgow, a store breaking. Uh, thousands of pounds of specialist diving equipment has been stolen during a break-in at premises in Glasgow. And I assume when they say thousands of pounds are meaning value, not by weight. Uh, police said a number of air tanks, dive watches, and knives were among the items stolen. Officers believe the theft was to try and steal the equipment. 
They have appealed to anyone with information to contact them. Uh, they said that this is quite an unusual theft. However, it's clear the suspects knew the items would be of some value. It's quite possible they will try and sell on this. I Therefore, I would urge any diving business or indeed members of the public who are approached to purchase anything to contact us. This is stolen equipment and would be seized if traced. And they do have a list of items. Uh, several extremely sharp knives have been stolen, which is natural concern. We don't want those to be in the items of the streets. That's, that's my favorite part of the story. Is I think I'd probably worry about a bunch of compressed air tanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking like they, 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 a... you can't get another, you can't find a knife any other way than a dive knife. I mean, you wouldn't tell. <laughs> well, they cut their they steaks with. <laughs> they don't have Walmart in Glasgow, I guess. You can just yeah. Pocket knife. They're using sporks. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they said it's in like it is un it is likely that the local residents would have heard the alarm. I would ask anyone who's spoken to in the area to come forward if they saw or heard anything. And this one was from the BBC. Uh, and then another article, same thing. Police investigate scuba equipment theft. They're saying about four thousand dollars worth of scuba equipment was stolen from a man uh, during a diving excursion in West Rutland Quarry. Rutland County Sheriff's Deputy James Bennett said the diver, who was not identified, told police the scuba gear was stolen near a quarry off Marble Street Wednesday afternoon. The man told police he left the gear in the quarry during a lunch break. When he turned, it was gone. An older model white pickup, possibly a ladder truck with two middle-aged men inside, were seen in the area before the theft. Anyone with information is asked to call Bennett. And this one is a Rutland Herald of Vermont. So on both sides... Of the pond, we had some theft. Uh, the next article is. That's currently four thousand dollars worth of gear. While I went to lunch. He, he, well, yeah. Well, and, and you know, let's see. What would four? I mean, it's easy to get to four thousand dollars, but I mean, that's kind of convenient, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> A nice, nice even number, and. Right. Yeah. I imagine, you know, if a quarry mill, so benefit of the doubt, maybe it was doubles tech gear. Dry suit, dive computer. Could be camera. Maybe he's got a nice fancy housing or something. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it does kind of sound that way, doesn't it? Like a bum. I mean, Mike, if I'm diving today, you know, fifteen hundred dollars—that's tops, man. I don't <laughs> know. You guys have these sophisticated computers. Who can tell? Oh my! I, I don't even. I, uh, I just dive with a bottom timer. It's about three hundred bucks. So. <laughs> I'm just trying to. I mean, you know. Sort of my my douchey DIR gear can get can run up pretty pretty high. I'm just trying to calculate. I don't think I could hit four thousand dollars though. I'm just counting on my toes, my flip flops here too, trying to add it up. No, four thousand dollars is a lot. No, I I don't have four thousand yeah. dollars in gear. I dive yeah. with. I mean, I think if you took everything I bought, it would it it wouldn't be that. You know, one of the one of the great things I miss certainly about Seattle is uh, is the community there. Whenever someone has dive gear stolen, they just sort of unleash the hounds on the dive matrix and scuba board and Northwest Dive Club and like and everyone who's already camping on sort of Craigslist because that's what they do for gear. It's like you know you always hear anecdotes every now and then scuba gear gets returned because someone finds them on Craigslist or something. It's yeah. Such unique gear. Yeah. Hopefully these guys will have those kind of resources to get their dive gear back. Eric, just a side note: you're out of Seattle. You dove in Seattle. Yeah, I lived there for about a year or so. It was. Uh, you know, some of the best diving I've ever done, mostly for the people. Yeah, you do any gooey duck diving? No, I never, I uh, never did any gooey duck. Never did any crabbing. Um, 
I'm more of a fish peeper than a fish uh, shooter. Uh, but I certainly, I've certainly eaten my fair share of, of, of giant gooey ducks, that's for sure. I was just curious. I've, that's another side note I can talk to Darren about later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I, we don't have any gooey ducks around here. Nope. I did hear a good story the other day about a guy who he started diving up here from the coast. Uh, he was out in one of our inland lakes and found some really good-sized clams and got a whole bunch of them together, brought up, and made a soup for his wife. Ooh. And it, it, it ain't the same, people. No, no. Plus, uh, that will get you a hefty ticket, I do believe, won't it? It'll make you very sick, according to the gal. <laughs> okay, the next story we have is Scuba Diver Searches the Sea for Osama Bin Laden. Now, I thought we already took care of this, but it seems somebody wants to go down and find Bin Laden. Uh, some are saying that this is caused by the Obama administration's decision to withhold photographs of the corpse. Uh, so it's led to a bunch of conspiracy theories about his death that he might not actually be dead. Um, so what is happening is, as you would expect, the Internet has now become full of doctored photos claiming he's still alive. So uh, Bill Warren, a middle-aged American with unlimited money, which I would love to find out what unlimited money is. Uh, scuba diving exer- expertise and a 150-foot boat is uh, with some, and he also has additional funding of, from Chicago, Scotland, and New York, is trying to debunk the myth by actually finding the body. It is currently costing $11,000 a day, and he expects to spend half a million dollars by the end of it. His boat is currently idling in Indian Ocean, is decked out with equipment similar to that, which found the Titanic. One of his quotes is the fish, uh, when asked about the body decomposing, fish can't get at it. It is in a sealed Navy burial bag, zipped up, white canvas, rubber lined inside, 200 pounds of lead weight. Finding a white canvas bag under similarly covered sand would seem near impossible. Weren't for the side scan sonar and countless days and hours he is going to spend searching. It, you know, having having run side scan sonars, for my my life, you know, he's either he's either gonna need a side scan that does such high resolution that he, he's gonna do these tiny little patches of the ocean at a time, or if he does a broad sweeping search with with a side scan, he's just not gonna pick up an object that small. I I, I can't imagine I can't imagine he's gonna make very much headway on this at all. Now, would there be 200 pounds of lead? Would that be something that would pick up in a magnetometer? really need ferrous really ferrous metal for a magnetometer um i i think you, the only way you can do it is, is probably paint it with a with a side scan just to catch the shape and there's nothing in there that's going to reflect acoustically that'll be all that interesting other than just sort of a lump um unless the unless the the bottom in the indian ocean is just super flat and sandy sort of like the gulf of mexico or you know south of florida it's the, which is just the, the flattest sandiest spot on earth um i there's, there's no way no way, dude. Did you read the rest of her comments? Uh, the, the last two paragraphs? Yeah. In fact, I don't believe Warren will live through this expedition. <laughs> if the body isn't there, he is going to be executed by Navy SEALs to preserve the secret. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a blonde. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little conspiracy going on there. It, it's interesting. Yes, sir, I've, 
as a side note, uh, that Colleen, she she does other writing. I didn't know if you know that or not. No. And she's a little bit of a pot stirrer. Oh, really? Yeah. She's a she's a student. I can't oh, remember okay. the class that she's at at this particular time. She's liberal arts. Uh, she's obviously one of those very active campus people who like to uh, make controversy. Yeah. Well, I only say that last two comments. The rest of it is straight reporting, but then, like you said, the conspiracy thing, going to eliminate them, the SEALs will get them, or the Al-Qaeda will get them. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Well, I mean, you, you figure if he's got a 150-foot boat, He's got a satellite phone, and he's got internet, and he's got so, yeah. And and so you're gonna kill somebody for not finding it. You know what's the criteria for for not finding it? Is it if he's out there for two weeks and doesn't leave, then they'll assume he didn't find it. Yeah, the, the logic. Yeah, the logic there's a little, a little missing. But just some of the other uh, stories she had since you mentioned, I took a look. Uh, one is a new study provo- proves the right dose of medical mushrooms does exactly what you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, she's on Facebook, too. Wow. Yeah. So, so maybe that's the article she did Is she ready before. for the... <laughs> yeah, which What's one did she write? News? What is this? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the, 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 the website, which will give it a plug, is uh, Death and Taxes Mag. And then, you know, and, and this is just a classic uh, title, Turd Burgers Are the Shit. So, <laughs> is that George Decay on that picture? It looks like George <laughs> Decay. <think> <laughs> yes, Captain. <laughs> oh my! Oh so, my! Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, oh well. I, I'm gonna get sidetracked. I'm gonna. I'm gonna I end up reading that one. Uh, the next article and one of the last ones of this this section. We have a, a few videos to show. Uh, U.S. congressman takes heat for diving with the U.S. flag. And it seemed like just a week or so ago, Mac and I were talking about this, but with uh, parachutists. You're right, skydiving. Skydiving. Is, is, is a parachutist a skydiver? Well, yes and no. Or is that is that like when people say scuba suit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm breathing. What's in your oxygen tank? Yeah. Yeah, my oxygen tank. So uh, on Flag Day, U.S. Congressman Alan West was criticized for scuba diving with a U.S. flag over the weekend. West had joined a group of military veterans and local divers to celebrate Learn to Dive Month in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The Republican congressman, a certified diver, is one of several dozen divers to descend to the wreck of the ancient mariner near Deerfield Beach. During the dive, the group unfolded an American flag and took turns posing for pictures. A group of bloggers gave West heat when they pointed out that uh, the divers were technically in violation of the U.S. flag code, which states... B, the flag should never touch anything beneath it, such as the ground, the floor, water, or merchandise. Now, merchandise. What, if I have it on a table that I'm going to sell, is that considered merchandise? Well, I thought it shouldn't touch merchandise, like if you have your flag at the gap or something. You can't yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> no, no jeans. Yeah. Uh, currently, the scandal, uh, the, given the current scandals in D.C., you might think skeptics would find something better to focus on. Uh, he's in his first term of office. One of his quotes is, I think it's important wherever we are that the flag flies to the 22-year veteran Army officer who's also a master scuba diver. It's still America down there. Well, I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. The intent that he's got is not to be you know, cast, uh, casting 
aspirations on the flag or anything like that. The intent is good. I'm more concerned with the people who fly a flag in front of their business that's shredded. Right. I mean, it really disturbs me. It's like, can't you see you need to replace that? Certainly. I mean, that I have more problems with that or the guys who want to burn something. Yeah. Well, and, and I you think that dep- depends on the perspective of the person with the flag. If you're in street clothes and you're walking around and you drop it on the ground or you drop it in a puddle, I really believe that was the intent of that law, not for somebody going down into another space with gear and displaying the flag. And dropping it, you know, you drop it, you drop it. I mean, I've done flag duty in the service. Obviously, you try not to ever let that happen, but some days you're out there in bad weather, uh, it gets away from you, you know. But that the intent, I think, has a lot to do with when you're talking about desecrating the flag. I think, it, you know, if several disabled veterans who scuba dive don't have a problem with it, I, 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 I wouldn't. I would be really arrogant myself to have a problem with it, I think. Yeah, I, I, it's just people probably of another political persuasion trying to find an excuse just to give them grief. That seems to be the climate right now is that it doesn't matter which party it is, somebody's going to find a reason to make a big deal out of it, hoping something stinks, uh, stinks, <laughs> Freudian slip, something sticks. Uh uh, let's see, he got, uh, he was scuba, di- he cer- was certified while he was in college, he got recertified, then he got his master's diver cer- certification after he moved to plantation, he said diving is a great opportunity to connect with constituents, Wes said, and find out what their issues are, it is unlikely that the West constituents would have a problem with congressman honoring his brother's soldiers proudly displaying the American flag during a dive, but stranger things have happened. The soiled flag is scheduled to be auctioned for charity with pre- proceeds slated to the Dive Heart organization, uh, our friend uh, Jim Elliott out of Chicago, which deals with teaching soldiers and other disabled how to scuba dive. The current bid in the flag is $500, and the auction does run through June 22nd. Uh, you know, you can bid on it. If you want to bid on it, go to force, F-O-R-C-E hyphen E dot com. So... Yeah, yeah, uh, big to do about nothing. But uh, want, you, know, want to, you want to talk about something that could be interesting? Sure. Take a look in the bottom where I'm going to send you a little, little message there. Okay. How about that one? Oh, okay. So this is a so this is an interview with Navy Times. Confided that he believes that Navy jobs should be open to women, including submarine attack crews as well as elite SEALs, if they qualify. That's the interesting phraseology right there. As long as they don't have a helping ladder, they um, down-tune the requirements for others, I got no problem. But to me, a SEAL is a SEAL, meaning they all get the same training. Right. Yeah, see, and that's the thing. I mean, I know there's more difference between the sexes than... I mean, within the sexes than between the sexes, but I've I've seen that SEAL training. You're you're probably one in a million women would even be close top athletes to what those guys go through. So, you know, like you said, if they can go through the the training, I'm that's fine by me. Yeah, I want to see that woman though humping that sixty pound rucksack up and down those freaking sand dunes. Yeah. I mean, I have no doubt that there is uh, that there isn't somebody who could do it, but as a matter of course, it's not going to be something that you would see unless they created a special way of doing it. Um, 
And then the submarines, I've known for a while they've had uh, women on submarines. That's That's been something that's been going on for at least a few years. Yep, yep. Okay. And that does it for the regular news. We got one, we got a video. Uh, this video was absolutely amazing. Did you, did you see it, Mac? I got it. I did not review it yet. Yeah, t- just, t- just take I, I just a moment. Kept, I just kept asking, I just kept asking why, and why, why alone? Why would you... Why would you solo dive that horrible dive? I guess it was, you probably can't see your buddy anyways. But Well, I don't know. It, 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 the Viz is probably the yeah. same between Papa Lake and... No, uh, I think that Viz is a little worse. <laughs> I think what it's probably Papa? dark. It's very, very, very dark. Yeah. So for, for those who are wondering what we're talking about, this is... <laughs> and I'll admit in advance, I will slaughter every name in this article. Nahuli... Hapai Lake filled with ash from Chile's Poaihu volcano eruption. And this is a video. Uh, the recent volcanic eruptions in Chile is causing all sorts of problems, but none that look quite like this. Uh, the ash from the volcanoes caused the uh, lake covering the surface with a thick layer of ash. And in the video, they show one man trying to go into the lake. And literally, it looks like... You threw a bunch of ash or cork or wood on top of the water, and it is just, he's wading through the first 15, 20 feet from shore to get out there. It, it looks like kind of like old-timey Tarzan movies where they have quicksand. Oh, it does. It, it looks just like that, yeah. It, it has that kind of that, uh, that that kind of sloppy, you know, there's, yeah. there's something on there. I'd be concerned with uh, following my regulator before I got out there. Oh yeah. Right. Well, I this... hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't have a piston first stage too. That'd be terrible. I guess oh. he's not even wearing like a hazmat dry suit or anything. Although I admit he does look like he's kind of having fun. Well, I, I, it's one of those things. I guess if you're willing to sacrifice your gear, you know, right. you can say that you're the one who did it. But and then maybe there's, uh, I mean, maybe there was some ecological reason to do this. Maybe they wanted to see. How much was floating down? What the, you know, how much was suspended in the water? If there was any wildlife still left? It'd be easier to go out in the boat, I would think, and then do that. Yeah, look at the video. It's, it looks. I mean, it, I don't think there's any spot where there's no viz. I mean, where there's uh, not the ash on it. But that's an interesting. Can you imagine cleaning that when he gets out. Uh, I, I would hope I wouldn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but uh, that yeah, that's going to be a mess. Well, and can you? I mean, I. But the last time I remember any ash, and I, I only know did it ever fall. It's one of those things. Did I imagine it or was it real? Uh, it was Mount St. Helens, and uh, yeah, they were they were pretty pretty deep in ash over there. I think yeah. uh, there were you know these pictures in the eighties of people digging out their cars from under ash. And, yeah. Uh, I wonder if there were any lakes over there if you went swimming. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I've been watching. I watched this video a couple of times, and I, I really, I, I maybe, I really seems like he might be having a good time. Yeah, I, I mean, you're you're diving. It's, it's going to be fun. Yeah. And then uh, here's one I just added, so I pasted in the Skype for you. It's also in the chat room for those who are in the chat room. And uh, thanks for everybody who is in the chat room. I'm I'm not ignoring you. Just a little, little preoccupied. But we've we've had so far tonight, Dave and. Craig and Corvette and Mike, so thanks for coming to the chat room. If you're not in the chat room, you're missing out. Uh, but this uh, this next call article or well, article and video, I think they have a video of it. 
So uh, I I know Mac. I'm I'm glad you were on tonight because I I know you'd appreciate this uh, trencher. So the UT hyphen one trencher lays the fattest pipe in the deepest places. This one is from Gizmodo of this week, and uh, it's an ROV that is designed to lay underwater pipe. So they're going down 2,000 meters down to lay this pipe. And what it looks like they're doing is it's actually making a trench and then laying the pipe in the trench. Um, so, and there's a video down there at the bottom if you, uh, showing how it works. I'm sure it's just... Uh, they must be very selective on where they send this thing. I mean, it looks like with those skids, it really needs to be on a pretty flat a flat yeah. area. I wonder, wonder how much of their pipe run they can use that thing with. Well, and I'm wondering if there are they. There has to be a reason why you're you're burying it in the trench. You know the the uh, old so style. Go ahead. So it doesn't move. So it doesn't move. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's so much in the oil and gas industry, so much time and energy spent trying to find where pipe has drifted, especially in the Gulf of Mexico. And if you could come up with a technology to track pipe with a, a, a unmanned vehicle, you probably probably make a fortune. It's, it's a huge problem. So to be able to bury it, at, at the very least, offer some protection from the elements so it doesn't drift and or break, is a, it's a big deal. Okay, so there's enough current down there that can move that pipe around then. Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. Especially since they sort of just, just lay, they just sort of lay the, the pipe on, on the seafloor. If you ever look at a map of the pipes that are going ashore in the Gulf of Mexico, I mean, it's like a spider web. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And that pictorial is really not accurate because... Were it working, you would not see the trailing pipe because it would be submerged already. Right. Right. And basically, I don't know if you've ever put your hand, you know what a sand bath is? No. Uh, when you calibrate instruments, at least a long time ago, when you're doing a lot of them, you would have a big container, like a 20-gallon can, basically, of really, really fine sand. Then you'd have heaters in it, and you'd aerate it from the bottom so you could actually put your hand in it, almost like a um, quicksand. And therefore, you could put in your, your thermocouples or your, your piping, whatever you want to do to do a test for temperature. And if you fluidize the bottom by putting in either air jets, hydraulic jets under the cable, and that's what that one here was supposed to be as an underground or a, a communications cable mm-hmm. or communications pipe. All you do is fluidize that, and then the weight of the object will fall or let it settle into the trench. And then when you take the water jets out and or the water or the air, probably water at that depth, it solidifies again and the pipe is basically captured. It's a really nice idea. Yeah, it's almost like a liquefaction up on the surface during an earthquake. It just loosens up the soil enough for everything to sink down yeah. in it. So uh, for, for a paltry $16 million, you can have one of these. I, I, bet I you know, could. I'm going to run out. I bet there's really only one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, or it's build to order. I mean, if you've you've got sixteen, they'll whip one up for you. But uh, yeah, I, I figured Mac, you'd like that for yeah, a compared new to the stuff. I don't know. We. Oh, that's nice. I thought the, the of all the all the little ROVs that I've ever run are always broken. I can't imagine how often this thing is broken. <laughs> Did you get that first statement during that uh, of that world's record for deepest diving in scuba is 330 meters? Which is a uh, what thousand feet on scuba? Yeah, I hadn't heard that one. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's that's got to be a rebreather. That that can't be compressed gas. Well, it, well, it can be. I mean, you know, you're working on a out of a bell at a thousand feet, 
couple of, well, many, many, many years ago, you're using surface air with a cable? Yeah, I mean, sort of set divers do all kinds of crazy stuff, but right. the statement but is, you know, using, using scuba gear, that, that seems, yeah. Uh, yeah, how much air does he take down with him? Well, and, and, I mean, I'd have to imagine that could have also been somewhat of a bounce, wouldn't you think? 300,000 feet, that's a hell of a bounce. <laughs> well, you, you, you might not bounce too well, but... Uh, All right, here's... Hang on. It's the scubarecords.com. There's some mention of uh, of this Guinness Book of World Records here. World's deepest open scuba, scuba record, 318.25 meters. Nuno Gomes. Say how long it took him for deco? Eight it's hours, 49 minutes. Yeah. He descended to 330 feet in 10 minutes, but it took him eight hours and 49 minutes to resurface. So... Oh, and they do have another website which shows the uh, uh, full description of the dive, which is a dead link. <laughs> yeah, of course. But his website has some, I'm trying to see, sea depth record. Yeah. Looking at the, he has one, two, three bat gas bottles and two stages, it looks like. Yeah, he's got quite a bit on there. Yeah, well, some of those cave divers uh, I know have done some ridiculously deep dives. Yeah, the the guys down at uh, the Karsten Plains, the GUE guys, I mean, they have 20 hours of exposure with their rebreathers, and they use two sets of rebreathers and about four scooters and I don't know how many stage models and a team of 20 people supporting them, you know, of course. Yeah. But uh, 20 hours of exposure is it's a lot. Wow. Yeah, he's got... Two sets of doubles on his back. This surface support must have been awesome. That's, yeah, that's a lot. Well, then they have the uh, deepest scuba dive by a woman in the sea. Uh, That one was 190 meters. Yeah. Oh, here's a new one, though. Woman 221. Verna von Schock. Oh, there you go. Yeah, farther out down. Yeah. And that's 2004, so this is old stuff. Yeah, I, uh, my 150 feet doesn't seem so deep anymore. Along the salt saltwater dive, 82.5 hours. Can you say prune? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the shrinkage, I think, is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. In a variety of ways. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's a pretty good uh, record and sort of sitting in the bottom for that long. I wonder what he what he did to keep himself busy. Probably listen to his iPod. That's yeah. right now. iPod. Now, now that you got iPads with uh, pressure cases, you can, you can load up a few movies. Yeah, I think there's some tech diver friends that use those uh, to watch movies on their, their iPhone while they're doing deco. It's a little ridiculous. I do have one of those little uh, underwater MB3 players, but I rarely ever use it. I, I kind of like hearing the ambient sounds around me. I like hearing the reef. Yeah, the one I'm I'm actually looking forward to the day where I get that board with a dive that I need to be listening to something else. You know, maybe when I'm hanging on a deco line for a couple hours, I might change my mind. You know, maybe we could play like the Indiana Jones soundtrack or something that would sort of inspire <laughs> me. It'd be something maybe the Pink Panther theme or something. <laughs> no changing, but yeah, yeah, some, something like that. You know, it's uh, I, I can see a long deco having a, an MP3 player would be nice um, but I, you know, I think I've, I've used it a couple times 
randomly. But if I'm diving with someone, I like to hear them, and certainly. You know, everyone's got one of those little rattles around here. They, you know, when they find a nudibranch or something, someone's always rattling something. Oh, okay. Another tank. Yeah, so I like to hear the reef. Looking at some of the records, a current record for 2011, the world's record for the deepest water depth by an offshore drilling rig is 10,194 feet offshore in India. Now that's getting down there, people. Yeah, that's the, those are all much deeper than I I think I'm ever going to end up at. Yeah, you don't see you don't see too many submersibles down there either. No. Well, uh, the, the, 3,000 meters is, is pretty accessible. I mean, the guys in Monterey Canyon are 3,000 meters with their ROV every day. Yep. Uh, some of the some of the autonomous vehicles I've worked with in the past regularly go down to do surveys at 3,000 meters. That's accessible enough, but not by humans. So yeah. Lots of technology. Lots of technology at 3,000 meters. Yeah. Yeah. I, m- much beyond uh, you know my my weekend depth rating. <laughs> Well, that does it for the news. We we polished that off. Now we'll get to the second show where we'll talk about last week's dives. So I know, Mac, you, you had to have how many dives in last week? Very few dives last week. Very few. I ganged my back on Sunday playing with some anchors, so I'm in the recovery mode. Uh-oh. So Sunday you found some anchors? I find anchors every day. <laughs> well, I, I know in one of the pictures you had an anchor, and it looked like it had been run over by a steamroller. It's possible. What, what was that anchor? Is that just the I'm, style? I'm not sure which one was that and when. Oh, it had to have been about two weeks ago you had it, and it looked like yeah. it was just yes. a flattened yeah. hook. That's where the guy actually had a, like, they cut those wooden anchors and put them on the wall. Uh-huh. That out of a two-inch plate steel. Oh, I see. So that wasn't a commercial anchor that had a purpose. It was just... Oh, no, just a heavy sucker. Yeah, so, so one of our... Uh, that's a step above of the uh, coffee can with cement in it. Yeah, and and somewhere in between that and a sash anchor. Yeah, yeah, the sash anchors. Yeah, Jim 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 S seemed to be pretty interested in that sash anchor. Uh, he's getting ready to go out. You probably saw his note looking for people to go out uh, probably Sunday on the wreck and do some video and some information recording and. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give them a bunch of sash weights there at the meeting on Tuesday so we can go out and toss buoys. It won't float away. Yeah, that, that's a possibility. Uh, this last week, uh, Bob, myself, Kurt, and David went out. We went out of South Haven, and we were going to do the Ann Arbor 5 and the Barge and Crane. Uh, we were expecting, you know, the, they were calling for zero to one foot waves. We ended up with two to fours. And those, I think, were two to fours on top of threes. So we had some... Gentle swells, but uh, with uh, two to fours on top of them, it was a little bit much. N- not too bad to dive on. Uh, we get out to where the Ann Arbor 5, we're expecting to find it, and the buoy's gone. No buoy on the Ann Arbor 5. So Bob ruined his legendary streak of uh, two years, uh, always hitting every wreck. And he uh, dropped the anchor, and he didn't get it. Went back, uh, tried to get it again, and it wouldn't take. And then when we pulled the anchor up, we figured, we found out that it was all fouled, that uh, it had gotten caught in the chain. So by that time, we said that was enough fighting with it. You know, two, two throws is enough. So we were going to head over to the Rockaway, just kind of do a punt dive, uh, since we're already 
geared up and no place to go. We thought we'd hit that. And then on the way over, the seat in his boat broke. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. So between missing the wreck and breaking the seat, you know, two goofs, that's enough, and we went in. So after about 10 miles of lake boating and getting beat all the heck, uh, we came on in. But still better than a good day at work. So, Eric, what was your last dive? Oh, it was probably... Uh, two weeks ago, I think. And it was just a normal trip on the reef. Uh, you just sort of went in our usual spot. And uh, there's a, there's actually, we have this really funny in the place we call the, we call the office, called Paniao is the name, Hawaiian name for it. And uh, we go and we have the same route uh, every single time we dive that if someone else is diving, you can actually sit by your watch watch them go in the water and say, okay, in 20 minutes and swim right over to the spot where they're going. Like it's the same route every single time. Uh, and we, you know, it's just, it's just, it's always good. It's always a great dive, even though we sort of do the same thing over and over again. There's a, there's a series of, uh, sort of lava fingers that come out, uh, from this spot and, uh, we call them cracks. So if you sort of drop it in the first crack, you can swim around into each crack and each crack is a few hundred feet long, I guess. And a couple of the cracks go into caves uh, where there's all kinds of good stuff in there. Um, I did see the, uh, some of the puffer fish around here have been sort of dying off. I did wish I had my camera to send to the, the reef watch people, but there have been some uh, die off of puffer fish, and no one really knows why. They're finding black spots, black sort of oil stuff, very X Files kind of stuff in their in their bellies, but no one knows why they're diving. So I did see a pretty a big dying puffer fish, but uh, I saw the usual you know fish and turtles and stuff. It wasn't wasn't anything mind-blowing, but it's always a good dive. That's... Well, I'm blow, blow off steam there, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... You know, it's, uh... It's definitely... You know, we definitely take it for granted, uh, but we try not to complain too much off-island about it. Unbelievable. But, yeah, and if, if anyone's ever on the big island, um, you know, if you go on the web and search for Hawaiian sea monkey, that's me... The Hawaiian Sea Monkey uh, on Twitter and on the web. Uh, reach out if you're ever on the Big Island. I'd be happy to go diving with you. I'm that desperate for dive buddies. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be able to find some for you. We've, yeah. we've had uh, quite a few listeners have made it over to uh, to Hawaii, and that's the one thing. Even though I've never been there, I always recommend the Mana Dive because I've never heard anybody who's done it and regretted it. Except so. for the people that go when there are no mantas. <laughs> oh, does that happen? Oh yeah, uh, uh, last week there were two nights that had uh, zero mantas. Oh wow! Really? Oh yeah, I sort of get the it's kind of screwed there. Still, yeah. it's still a beautiful dive. But. Oh yeah, well, you could, you're in dark water, can't see anything with a light flashing up, but yeah. <laughs> What's nice about that is they do normally you do do like a, a dusk dive uh, there, and then you get back and you have a snack, and then you get back in for the night dive. And the night dive there is great. It's it's all kinds of stuff to see, even if you don't see a uh, big mantis hitting your head. Yeah. That's something we got to get sometime this this summer, Matt, because we got to get a night dive in somewhere. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, Jim, Jim and I have been talking about it. Hey guys, I have to roll on out of here, but I want to thank you for having me on. Well, well, thank you for coming on. This has been fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully, we we'll talk to you guys soon. And uh, aloha. Aloha. Good evening. That was nice having Eric on. It was nice to to hear yeah. about some Hawaiian dives. How'd you wind up finding him? Of course, yep. with Twitter, uh, just put a post out there looking for some warm water divers we could harass, especially now that he can't defend himself that he's off 
the air. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he, he volunteered to come on and we've been playing phone tag back and forth probably for five, six weeks now. So it was great to have him on. Appreciate Eric coming on. Uh, he'll probably be somebody who will have on, uh, as often as he can. Uh, Claire will probably be on back next week. You know, it's a, it's a lot for somebody to commit to every week. So she's, uh, she'll probably do every other week with us. And I'm still giving Jim some guilt for, for not coming on the program, twisting his arm. Uh, we're heading up to Sagatuck this weekend uh, with the wives, so uh, we'll 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 certainly be talking some scuba if I can't get them out in the show, and maybe we'll do some segments. We'll maybe we'll record a segment, and I've even talked about moving the the night around to accommodate. So we'll see. We'll we'll get Jim back on, but he's he's still alive and kicking, doing well. I feel like it's almost like uh, you know one of those like weekend at Bernie's movies. You know, you keep bringing the body around and saying, yeah, he's still here. You know, we were talking about records. I, I got two more items just to say real quick. Sure. Uh, the Deepest Sat Dive, the current one, uh, is also by f- the French group. Uh, they've been diving to 534 meters, which is 1,750 feet. They're using a uh, tri-mix of hydrogen, helium, and oxygen. So that's considered to be the uh, deepest sat dive in the open sea. Wow. Now, when and, they're doing that sort of sat dive, they've got a chamber. So the whole ride down is in the chamber. And then just the very end, they're actually out in the water column? Right, but then they get back in their chamber, but you still got the same deco. The only right. difference is, is I can put the hatch cover shut, bring me back up, mate me to a deck decompression chamber so I can at least be dry, you know, and on the surface, not hanging on a line. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that French group has also set the deepest sat dive experimental down to 700 meters. That's about 2,300 feet. So people are getting out and getting deep. Yeah. Well, and that's also what has been admitted to. Now, I have a sneaky suspicion that there's been some deeper that we're just not aware of. There probably is, but I know if you're going to go deep, why not take a gym suit or something like that? So you're one atmosphere and not have to dork with the, uh, the right. deep for one. And it's a much more useful time, I think. I would think so anyway. Yeah. There would have to be some specific reason why you would you would actually go another way yeah and that's usually called money (laughs) money yes how much does it cost yeah how much can i get away with well it seems like a saturation dive would have to be quite expensive you know maybe not quite a gym suit but quite a bit and and yes it is expensive that's why they get paid so much but you know you got a couple of crews you bring one crew up, you take one crew down, so you're getting 24 hours a day working. You know what I'm saying? Yep. yep. And you've got a bunch of people in the big chamber, so you got to like your buddy. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little tight quarters there. It Not quite the Hilton. So you think about uh, getting with Jim to find out about getting a Oh, no, you're going to be in soccer time. Well, that's on Saturday, but Jim was talking about maybe Sunday. I don't right. know. Right. Uh, he, he said he'd come by and pick up the, the little hummingbird. Mm-hmm. So at least you guys could be, even if you didn't look for that, you might be able to find something else out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's always interesting to get out in the lake and do something. I uh, just got to get it cleared. I mean, it is Father's Day, so I should be able to talk somebody into letting me do a dive. But uh, so yeah, sa- Saturday's definitely out. Uh, but uh, yeah, the weather's been kind of a little little off. I mean, we had some a little bit of high waves and we've had r- kind of rainy, drizzly days the last two days and uh, but this, the weekend's looking like it might not be too bad. Today, this afternoon, was absolutely gorgeous. If my back hadn't have been messed up, I'd have been either up in the air or under the water. 
Yeah. Well, they say we're only going to have four days of summer this year, so. Yeah, those are days I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> so, if got to get out there and dive. Um, you know, as always, go ahead and we love to hear the five-star reviews. If you want to head over to Apple's iTunes and, and leave us one, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, been a little quiet on Twitter and Facebook recently, but uh, I'll try and catch back up. Work has been absolutely nuts, so you can follow us on Twitter at Scoob Obsessed. We'll also do some show notes. I'll get the previous episode up plus this one. I'm gonna my goal for tonight is to do that. So even if you don't see show notes, hopefully I can get that knocked out. Um, and uh, I, I don't really even have a scuba joke. I can find one. So why don't you help me out if you're listening and you've got a scuba joke? We're always interested in listening to them or even if you got a funny joke that you love dirty clean i don't care i might not be able to play it in the air but i'll get a good laugh at it so send your jokes to the show at scubaobsessed.com and we'll go through them and uh, i can i can usually take just about any joke and turn it into a scuba joke so that's a challenge for you as listeners go ahead and send us some of your favorite jokes and we'll get them here in the show and uh, make sure you put a note whether you want credit or not i'm sure some people don't want the death threats that go along with the scuba jokes. There is a risk involved. <laughs> Death. <clears throat> is that verbal or written? <laughs> well, it, it can vary. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, for, um, I, I think that just about does it for this week. Uh, you got anything else you can think of, Mac? Have we found anybody from the Samoas yet? No, I don't think so. Oh, that, that thanks for reminding me. That'd be another thing. Is, uh, go ahead and head over to Scuba Obsessed and click on the About and Our Fans link. And go ahead and put your pin on our fan map. Uh, we got quite a few in the beginning. And just go ahead and put a pin on there. Leave as much or as little information if you like. If you just want to, you know, don't, don't leave your street. Put it in your street name. You can put it in your city or just your state. It doesn't matter. We just want to get a pin in the in the map for each of our listeners. So uh, for at least our three listeners, we should we should have at least three pens out there. And, and, and as a side note, if we have anybody from the uh, Samoas out there, I'm sending a little note. It's a plug for my kid, Katie and Kylie Mack. Somebody yep. can look them up via the iTunes and press the little button so they can get their flag. We haven't heard from the Samoas yet. We need that. It, it's hard to believe that they, they haven't been able to find somebody from Samoa. How many people are in Samoa? That sounds like a, a question for a Google question. Population, population uh, of Samoa. Tweaking it. And by the way, I'm also looking to get rid of some anchors if anybody's out there and needs an anchor. <laughs> Actually, uh, did, did you, you heard Jim needs one, didn't you? Jim no. K? Oh, what kind does he need? Because I'm, I'm going to get rid of those out there in my backyard. Uh-oh, the, your oh. anchor garden is not, is not working out? Have you seen how many anchors I've got? Well, I've seen how many you've been getting. So, yeah, we'll... We'll take a few of them, but he had one of those, I call it like a grappling anchor. You heard about that in the Ironsides? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he's looking for a replacement for that one. Plus, we've also talked about, uh, I think he's got, uh, what, I don't know, that'd be a Danforth that he has now? I've got a Danforth left if somebody wants that one. And uh, I gave Jim the big uh, sand anchor. I had a real nice big one. Remember the one I got out of the river last year, that nice big one? Yeah. And we gave him that one for the big boat, for his boat. Because yeah. the one he had was not really big enough for the for the lake, so I've got I think ten of those uh, mushrooms out there yeah. that are available. Yeah, I mean Jim probably would like you know if if he had a mushroom and then he he needs a bigger uh, you know about as big of a Danforth anchor because he he kind of needs to upgrade. You know when we're when we're diving at sixty seventy feet it's more than enough, but when we're out there 
and 100 foot plus. Plus, we're trying to figure out how much line, you know, to get a four to one on that that anchor oh, line. So, yeah, you got, that's why I understood why you guys didn't mess around on the uh, on the Ann Arbor 5. I mean, you got 160 feet straight down, so the scope is going to have to be several hundred feet, to say the least. So uh, I can see why you didn't want to pick up the anchor and drag it somewhere and toss it and then get off of it. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to dive on without the, the, the mooring. I wasn't diving on it anyway. Uh, I was just going to stay and watch the boat for them because at a hundred, because uh, they'd have it in the bottom. So you're going to go down the anchor line by the time. I mean, I can't go to 160. I mean, that's, that's more than I'm comfortable with. So it, it just wouldn't have worked out. Now what Bob was going to do with his rebreather is he's going to go down there, drop the anchor. You know, if the anchor was there, he'd either pull the anchor and put it on the deck or he'd, uh, you know, tie off the line, mm-hmm. come up, grab us, and and so we could come on down. But you know, there's always another dive, especially if you're smart about it. No sense in in doing more than we're ready for. And yeah, it was a good day out in the lake, even if we didn't get a dive in. Yeah, you had the pony with you. Yep. Excellent. Well, I, I had your pony and I had Jim's pony because I borrowed the pony from you, but I didn't borrow a reg, so I had to run over to Jim's. Oh, okay. And borrow a reg, but uh, so yeah, I've got both of those top top. Topped it off for you, so that's that's ready if you need it. Now you guys are uh, new tanks, don't you? So you're not ready for hydro yet. No, none of mine are uh, needing hydro at least for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, my, mine are brand new. Now mm-hmm. I, I probably should look at the stamp because uh, it's something to watch up, watch for when you buy a new tank. Is because uh, I, I know that uh, at one of our local dive shops they're selling tanks and they're letting you know that they're need they're a year out from hydro. Yeah, and they're also nice they're pricely they're priced very nice they're priced appropriately for needing a hydro yes so it's a a time hydro and it hasn't been excuse me oh yeah oh yeah you're you're gonna pass the hydro there's no doubt on that it just it needs one because of of the stamp on it so uh you know whereas something like my tank where it's getting used all the time (laughs) it it, it probably could even use a hydro before it can use a hydro even no. though I, I, tanks, if you're pretty good to them, what I always wonder about, you know, cause you're talking about, uh, where you had a tank and it sat in your car and you know, you lost a seal once. Yeah. Last week. Oh, that was last week. That was last week in my car. Ooh. See, cause I, I, I I've, I've been reading that that's not too good for a tank that that can, uh, you can end up over pressurizing a tank too. Oh yeah. I, I really expected the pressure disc to have blown, not the, the rubber seal. But as, uh, I looked into that a little bit. And when you get replacement ones, you, all, all uh, O-rings are not the same, even though they may be the same diameter. You've got to make sure you get one of the same density or thick or um, compression thickness of the rubber for what you're using it for, meaning it could be identical in size and shape and look right, but it would have a different compression ratio. And or if you had one that's been on the shelf five years, it aged compared to a brand new one. So you're talking about for the for the valve in the tank, right? The valve in the tank. Yeah. So, so would I it think, be something that the make you well you'd pick up from the manufacturer? You mean a new O-ring? Right. Well, you know as well as I do, we're going to wind up getting it from the the dive shop, depending on how much turnaround they have on theirs. You know how many they buy and how long they keep them. Some of them could age, but since that was the original tank, that was the original O-ring, so that's the way it came from the manufacturer. Right. And I think I checked that one. I think I've only had that one. Actually, I think that's basically a new tank. Was that one of them from the hydrology? Yeah, one of those. So it's probably the 
This would probably be the first first or second hydro. Yeah. So to me, that's a new tank. Yeah. I mean, I've got some some steel <laughs> ones that had six or seven stamps on it already. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Well. Again, you know, I'm not I'm not in salt water. I keep the freaking uh, I keep air in it, so I'm not going to have it empty. And um, I have a VIP. And if you do that, you really shouldn't have any issues with it. If you've got good air and you're not storing it, you know, right at high density oxygen or something in a warm environment with moisture in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're getting enough turnover on our tanks and treating them properly, so they're they're lasting quite a bit. Uh, any day I start breathing out of that, and I'm breathing cotton. You know how you get that cotton mouth? Uh-huh. You know you've got no, you not got no uh, water in that tank. Exactly. Sometimes you wish you did. Yeah. Well. Yeah, this is certainly. Uh, it's a good reason to, another good reason to keep hydrated. Oh, absolutely. I was reading some stuff on that the other day. Uh, I was going to share some of that in the coming months when we have some meetings, especially during the winter, on uh, good practices and how to keep yourself from getting bent. Because a lot of people forget, you know, your psychological makeup, uh, your physical makeup, how you feel that day. There's so many variables you have for getting bent or getting a DCS set. It's really amazing the different items that can go together in the wrong fashion to get you hurt. Certainly there are. You just don't think about sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a, a, a minor injury going down, not being hydrated. Yeah. Hydrating, they say, is one of the important ones that people forget about, especially in the warmer climates. Because I said, you don't hydrate because you don't want to pee in your dry suit. And it's like, that's really not a good thing to do. You need to put a little relief tube in there or where it depends or something. But on a, on a diet that you're going to really expect to be down, you know, substantially working or have a lot of deco, you want to really be hydrated. I agree. You certainly do. Uh, I, I got the result for Samoa. 178,846. All right, that's not a lot of people out there. I wonder how many of them are listening to us tonight. <laughs> I I would say of the 178,000, none. <laughs> so if you know somebody in Samoa, call them up. <laughs> well, well, we'll go ahead. We got we got a good hefty episode here, and I got quite a bit of editing, so we're going to go ahead and end it tonight. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, until next week, uh, this is for Jim, Mac, myself, Eric, Claire. Go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And that does it. Well, we'll probably talk to you sometime during the week. Uh, Give Jim a call if you're going to be available Sunday, because I know he's trying to line up some people now.